Hey all before we get started with this amazing interview with Ty, I want to say a couple things. First off, my audio in this episode is a little off. There is a background distortion. That's because we have brand new equipment in the studio, and I had one of the settings a little off. We're still working on everything, but um, luckily I don't talk a lot. We want to hear from Ty anyways, and that's, that's what we do, so that's great. Secondly, we're giving away four keys to RD Mars, the game you're about to hear about. What you have to do is retweet the uh, post that we're going to do on Twitter. We're going to do it the morning this comes out, so you guys can check it out. It'll have the cool little logo and everything like that. Retweet that. We're going to select four people from the retweet to hand keys to. That's basically it. We're also going to give away an additional copy to any some random person on our Discord too. So if you're already in our Discord, congratulations. You have a chance to win one of these keys as well. The game won't be available until January, but when it is available, it will be in your library. All right. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Bye. Hey all, and welcome to Geek Freaks. I am Frank, and this time I'm joined by the wonderful Ty we've had on before. How are you doing, Ty? I'm doing good. I'm once again happy to be on the Geek Freaks podcast. Uh, I'm not sure if you're going to be getting video here, but I noticed you guys got a nice little plaque behind you now. You're branding out. Yeah. It's looking great. Yeah, yeah. We, we'll try to get the video out. It'll, we'll see how that goes. I, it's not done yet, but it'll get there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so last time we talked to you was right before E3. RD Mars was your game that you were kind of getting out there. Uh, what, has, what has developed since that day? Well, first, I think the game's gotten a lot better. <laughs> you know, uh, something design-wise, I've had some... I've been doing a lot of research and integration of design philosophies, and I've kind of been... One thing that I thought that I needed to address from my previous projects was the sense of ludonarrative dissonance. I think we talked about that the last time yeah. I was on. And with that... I was able to fuse more of the gameplay and story together as we progress through development of Artie Mars. And with that, I feel like something that I've been struggling with as a designer for a long time, which is the fusion of engaging gameplay and harrowing narrative. I think for once, I finally was able to get close to making them work in harmony together, which is something I'm very excited to show with everyone. Actual like playtime. Have you added any additional playtime since then? Oh, absolutely. The um, yeah, play playtesting wise, uh, players are now getting about um, two to four hours out of the game, depending on skill level and how much they explore. So mm -hmm. I think the demo was about forty minutes. So yeah, yeah. playtime. We've thrown in a whole bunch of extra bosses, and you know, we've concluded the narrative basically. The game is effectively done as far as my development input's going to be going. We're just uh, doing some marketing work and distribution work and the more boring technical business side of stuff. Yeah. I, I have noticed you've added more backgrounds and kind of like sets to the game so far. How hard is it to make a new background and add it into the game? Uh, back, Background-wise, those are probably some of the easiest uh, things that I work on. Like a tile set, like it's... Uh, Fairly simple, mostly geometric work, which I, I do my best with on things that are more so supposed to just be visually appealing than conveyance. Uh, that's actually one thing that I was purposefully trying to take in with RD Mars because my last game, Lucid, had very complex backgrounds that took up a lot of development Lucid. time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was a, that, that game's a trip. I mean, you have like these giant, like, I think there's like a giant in the background at one of them time and it was very beautiful. Yeah, but yeah. What a time sink. 
It had to be hard. So to do. The people keep comparing it to uh, the old PS1 game, LSD Simulator. I'm not sure if you've ever seen that. It That's was, an old school one. Wow. <laughs> uh-huh. It was this old game that was real fucking like whack out of belief where you were going through this guy's LSD filled dreams. Very cool. Inspired a lot of Lucid. Yeah. But uh, the, yeah. Yeah. Backgrounds wise, I've put a lot more time into uh, narrative telling. In fact, I would say that story writing probably took up about 50 percent of development time, which is way out of whack which, with what it normally is in the industry. Yeah. Is that because you basically you built the mechanics the machine you built already Mars and then you're like, OK, now let me use these tools to tell a story. Is that kind of how that development works? Yeah, and something you might notice in RD Mars, which is both to its, I, th- I think it can both be a detriment and also something engaging on some level, is that combat-wise, the game has is very polished but very simple because it's, yeah. it's mostly focused around the narrative storytelling. Not a walking simulator, mind you, because I think those are two different design philosophies in which one should approach. But with that, that enabled me to put more development resources towards story which I think is an important thing that developers need to recognize that one developer cannot do it all. You have a limited amount of resources. So doing one thing very well will always be more effective and will always produce a better product than doing a whole bunch of things in a mediocre sense. Yeah. Yeah. I try to avoid the jack of all trades effect. Um, What do you think is your strongest point in this game? I think narrative. I think that. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I think that Artie Mars and my skills as a designer are conveyance of story. And with that, mm-hmm. I think what type of story I tell best are stories that are character focused and strong thematically. Artie Mars, in every single line of dialogue and every single thing that I present to the player, is trying to convey this sense of loss and this all-consuming passion that the character of Felix Darwin has. And everything in service to that creates this, you know, not to toot my own horn too much, but creates this great sense of thematic coherency. Uh, That's something I was very proud of as we were working through the game. Yeah, I I look back again at at one of my favorite moments uh, in the demo was when you're passing across the mirror and then you see a different identity essentially in the mirror, which, I mean, is that you know, Artie Mars's own identity, you know, there's all kinds of questions that kick up. I'm excited to see how that develops in the, in the full game. Yes. Yes. That's uh there's a, that's one thing that I've noticed that like those moments where your expectations are taken and thrown back from something like that's basically what, one of the things I was thinking the most as where I was going through development, the players becoming more comfortable with X concept. How do I introduce Y? Like, uh, right. I'm not sure if you remember at the end of each level where you return to the uh, the blue hallway. Yeah. Well, uh, the blue hallway served two purposes. One of one of them was a pacing reason, because like if you were just fighting like some sort of weird esoteric boss and then you just get thrown back into the main room, it feels a little weird. So we tried to address yeah. that. It was a pacing thing. But also the establishment is something kind of boring, something kind of rote something you might not understand that leaves potential for that expectation to be disrupted. Well, yeah. And, and you nailed it with the pacing and breaking up gameplay. If you look at like some of the most successful games ever, especially in the last five years, like Hades, uh, so many people talk about how smooth it is and how great the gameplay is, but then they also talk about, 
yeah, but after you die, then you get to talk to everybody again. And there's all new dialogue moments and stuff. And it really, it changes the gameplay. And if you were to tell somebody like, oh, I really love this cool action game where I get to talk to people, <laughs> you know, it doesn't make much sense. But like in your game, you can't wait to go into that room and, and, and discover what's going on with my identity. I'm not sure what's going on. So it's, it's just a really well done move. Oh, thank you, Frank. I, uh, yeah, that's, that's one thing I noticed that like, um, in, a, in a lot of games and to, to be fair, I did play test with some people who are in the esports scene. Yeah. Oh, am I cutting out? No, you're good. Okay. Uh, no, I play tested with some people in the esports scene and they did skip a lot of the dialogue, but the normal consumer market, they seem to engage with the dialogue far, far more than I see in the average game, which I'm not sure if that's, uh, what that might say about Artie Mars, but at the very least, that's a good sign for me as a designer that the dialogue is compelling enough for people to want to not only read the dialogue, but maybe investigate it and try to get get something yes. out of it more so than what one might just in like some sort of rank RPG. Investigate it. What a great term for what it is. Um, and then, yeah, the fact that you can have esports guys get in there who only care about action. Adrenaline 100%. That's good that you have a game that could be played by both, to be honest with you, because there are plenty of times where I'm playing a Kingdom Hearts, and it's like, okay, I'm good at the cutscene. Let me get in on this. Uh, so you have a good balance. That's, that's good to see. Um, okay, so since then, you've kind of developed more with Steam, and I'm sure, just like myself, everybody's got games on Steam, a huge library they still haven't touched yet. Uh, how is the process working with Steam? Is it, is, are they really controlling? Do they give you some freedom? How does that work out? Uh, both in a good and a bad sense, Steam does not care about you. Steam is <laughs> okay. a giant conglomerate of where everyone has a chance to make a shot at the market. And with that, mm -hmm. Steam has lower barriers to entry than other traditional dis distributors do. If you have an executable that's not going to destroy someone's computer, you can probably get it onto Steam as long as you have 100 bucks and are willing to like figure out the Steamworks SDK. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Steam also doesn't have a lot of support when it comes to, you know, marketing efforts and things of that nature. They are not the best at communicating. A lot of times, if you're if you ask a question, it'll be a long time until you get a response. But I, I can say, even with all the faults of Steam, both from a developer's perspective and a consumer's perspective, I have an overall positive opinion of everything. Yeah. But as a developer, it kind of feels like the Wild West where they're like, here's everything you need. Figure it out. Is oh, yeah. Like doing to you guys? Yeah. You, okay. I think somewhere in the ballpark of about 90% of indie developers do not make a living wage off of Steam, which a lot of yeah. those people are hobbyists and things of that nature. But the, while in perhaps like 2013 or something of that nature, releasing a game on Steam could be a guarantee of some sort of stable income. That era of Steam is over since Steam Greenlight ended and Steam Direct began. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, the struggles are real, right? I mean, that's what people are, are all competing for the same pot, basically, same amount of attention. Mm -hmm. uh, when Steam has a sale, are you trying to get yourself in on the sale? Because that's only one thing that I think a lot of people are wondering is, man, I only paid five bucks for Batman Arkham Knight. Mm -hmm. But do you guys get paid for that? Oh, yeah. Um, see, the whole thing about producing a digital product is that you have an infinite number of that digital product. There is no, the margin is, I, I think, uh, yeah, the margin for what you're producing is infinite. 
you get all the revenue for a product that produces you nothing besides development costs to produce. That's the reason that Steam has these constant and what perceived to be ridiculous sales numbers. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and I, from a developer's perspective, and obviously uh, Artie Mars isn't out yet, but even from someone who's been mostly small time up until this point, you can tell that if you put a game out that has a 90% discount, you're almost certainly going to be getting like 1,000 times the sales as you were before. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. It's the new era of digital distribution. And hey, I, me personally, I prefer my physical copy of games. I have a big old wall over here of yeah. physical stuff. But I think eventually, just from a consumer perspective, you're probably going to just be seeing that stuff become more common because it's just so much better from a developer's perspective. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't really think about how the fact that you have such an infinite supply <laughs> that, yeah, make it a huge discount because I'll just sell way more of it. Which that makes up the difference because it just feels like, you know, again, on the Switch is a great example. Constantly have 90% off sales where it's a dollar for a game. You're like, yeah, I don't care what the game is for a buck. I'll add it to my library. Who cares? You know? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, uh, also partially because of that. And uh, since Lucid, well, my previous game, it's not really any longer commercial venture for me. Like, I'll probably be getting 100, 200 bucks off of it for the rest of my life, maybe every year. So I'll put it on sale. Like, it's 10 cents to buy like uh, for like two weeks, like in some random month. Uh, it's been doing really well in Eastern Europe because of that, because the cost of living is uh, so much lower there, which is kind of nice to see people around the world, depending on price range, being able to get it, get in on something. Yeah. And, and then it just shares the word and people start to follow up. Well, I like this game. Let's see what else this developer has made. And then they, Hey, they find already Mars or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it just expands your name. Although if you if you can read English and you don't understand Lucid, I'm feeling real bad for the people who speak some sort of uh, Slavic language and are trying to understand what's Lucid is going about. It's <laughs> like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? My God. Don't, don't think it's just an LSD simulator because <laughs> that's what it feels like sometimes. <laughs> like, what is that thing? Why is there like multiple copies of me? Why is there <laughs> this giant nude man sitting on this television stand in the middle of this room? Yeah, <laughs> it does feel like a bit of an acid trip, but it's a fun acid trip, I guess, is the way to look at it. <laughs> um, yeah, well, boy, that sheds a lot of light on Steam, and that kind of makes me feel better about buying all the sales instead of <laughs> buying games new. Uh, okay, that's good. Oh, also, now, uh, uh, so- sorry yeah. to interrupt you. Uh, buying a game like for 90% off from a developer itself, developers get no sales from used games. and companies have been trying to kind of unethically try to still like eke out revenue from used games. But basically every single time you buy a game on Steam, you can't resell them. At least some money goes to the developer. So it's almost always better for developers. Well, have you tried going on Epic or any other stores? Epic is very restrictive. And I'm not just saying that from like, uh, like, oh, they're, they're not a big fan of indies. Like, no, they, it's basically impossible to get like an indie game that doesn't have already have like major sauce in the industry, like a developer digital oh, wow. in, in there. Like if Undertale, Undertale has already managed to basically grace the platform, every single major console platform, not right. on Epic Games. There is, they have a certain like visual fidelity standard there's a lot of associated fees you have a lot of restrictive creative control so frankly i haven't uh, tried uh epic games 
uh, I think me and me and Jeff, Jeff Giesen, this guy I work with on publishing, we're taking a look at a uh, Nintendo Switch release right now. That'd be so perfect for you guys. Yeah, yeah. Artie Mars would play so well on the Switch. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, that fast rotation. Oh, man, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would be a little worried about content there because the uh, ending chapters of the game do touch on some darker themes. So we might have to sadly censorship. But if, it's, if that's the price to pay to enter that market and be able to for people to experience the majority of the story anyways, I would be more than happy to do so. Yeah, and, and Nintendo has been a new home. The Switch has been a new home for indies, mm-hmm. so it's like such a great place to jump in on. It's, I think that's a great idea. Frankly, the Nintendo Switch is the best of both worlds for indies. It's relatively easy to get in on, but it's still curated enough to the point where most of the indies on there are high-quality products that have a reasonable expectation to sell well. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your plans on follow-up? So, like, say the game comes out, already Mars releases, uh, and by the way, guys, it'll be releasing in January 19th. We'll make sure to let everybody know that when that happens. Um, game releases. How often are you trying to like add patches to it or keep the thing running as smooth as possible? How often are you coming back to the game? I'm glad you asked that. I, um, we, we are planning a series of update patches every two weeks for the following three months after wow. the game releases. Uh, I have already done that as well. Uh, the development work on the updates. I have some stuff that I'm real excited for people to see. Uh, one of them is something completely disconnected from the story, but it's going to be an endless mode that you can uh, click on in the oh, nice. intro scene. And it's, uh, I think people are going to be real happy with that, but you're going to get some more insight into uh, the character of Felix and everything like that through some special yeah. Easter eggs. And also, you're going to be seeing some Easter eggs from the lovely people in media that have been helping RD Mars through its release. So. I think we might have to do something for the Geek Freaks podcast and Artie Mars too. I wouldn't hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I would not hate that. That is such a cool idea. Yeah, I did think about how every two weeks, that's going to take a lot of your time then to make sure you're on top of those updates. It's already done. <laughs> besides oh, besides the YouTuber stuff, I've already uh, basically finished all that stuff. So, hey, I know people don't like developers working on DLC before they release the game, but considering it's free, I feel like people will be able to forgive me. <laughs> well, and then what we're learning from from this process here, talking with you, is how much time it's like. Yeah, I'm just waiting for the publisher side of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, developing wise, you're kind of done. You're just waiting for the other cogs to make their turn. Unless the game horrifically breaks upon launch, then I pr- I'll probably have my work cut out for me. But excluding yeah. that possibility, I'm imagining that my development time is mostly complete. I obviously want to make sure that if anything breaks or if there's any issues with the game, I am very dedicated to consumer quality. Like, uh, yeah. if, if uh, someone is courteous enough out of all the entertainment in the world to spend some time with your product, you, I feel like as an artist or as a producer or as anyone in media, you have an obligation to give them the best product you possibly can. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it, too. And then the fans fall in love and they're, they're going to keep backing you. That's, that's a great, you know, relationship between fan and developer. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, okay, so since E3, since we last spoken, you've also gotten a publisher. Mm-hmm. How does that work out? Do they approach you or do you approach them? Well, sometimes a publisher will approach you. That's not how I did it. I, yeah. like in the little scrappy, insane way that I've gotten most of my contacts, is I have this big old list where I compose the list of somewhere in a ballpark of 70 publishers. 
Uh, to start, I sent out an email to my seven favorite ones I thought would be the best pick for Artie Mars. And one of those first seven picked me up. So uh, the, the remaining cool. 63 uh, the, might, might have been a little bit of wasted time, but I think that just goes to show how happy I am to be with Meridian 4. Yeah, Meridian 4 too, guys. I'm sure you guys are familiar with them, especially I think the most popular game has got to be the Silent Age. I think everybody's at least seen the Silent Age. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's a really great team. What? Why is it they, they were on your uh, top seven? They seem to be producing games that were similar to what I work on. They were more atmospheric, maybe cerebral um, narrative works that I thought was were going to work well. And also, I just saw Jeff, Jeff uh, Giesen, the guy who is the head of Meridian 4, he seemed like a person who understands marketing. And he's been in the industry since the 90s. He, you know, uh, Jeff, even though I'll occasionally have a disagreement with him on strategy, he is a intensely good marketing person. He understands the basis of what makes a game compelling in this industry. So what are the perks to having a publisher? It sounds like they're helping you a lot with the marketing. Uh, well, Jeff Giesen and me have kind of a different relationship than what maybe a traditional publisher and developer might have. Uh, Jeff Giesen has mostly taken an advisory role in well, my marketing efforts with Artie Mars. And because of that, we've worked out a deal that's maybe more favorable to me than what a traditional publisher might. But what he's done is with his industry experience, he is overseeing and making advisory decisions on what the marketing party march is going to be. Like, for example, he was managing our store page and he was making sure that was the most presentable and marketable and things of that nature. Um, he also made me aware of the summer steam festival, and that was a major boon for you know any indie as I'm sure you've probably talked to indies or no, it's a big, it's a big oh, yeah. live stream thing. You get a lot of wish lists from it. Uh, we've also been pursuing some new stuff on, um, yeah, new social media stuff. That's been good. Wishlist Wednesday, screenshot Saturday. Those are maybe community things for indies. And, you know, yeah, like, like I said, Jeff Giesen is, knows his stuff in this industry. He has taken Artie Mars far beyond what I would have been able to make it presented as just by myself. Yeah, so that's great that Jeff's actually kind of taken on this advisory role. Do you think that's going to translate into like maybe future games? You're going to continue to work with Jeff on future games? Um, to be entirely honest... Or is that too far in the future? <laughs> no, no, I, I have been thinking about what my next game is going to be. And to, to be entirely honest, I'm kind of at a crossroads as a the development. I think the next project I want to work on, I want to do something that's about interactive narrative because okay. so much of my work, and I think you've probably gotten it, is I want to realize some new potential of what video games can be artistically. And I think the next step of that is probably to be something that's deeply interactive in the sense of direct input. But with that, I'm going to have to be thinking about things. So right right now, I'm probably more at an artistic level on that. I'm, not, I'm unsure of whether or not I would work with Jeff again. I've no the sense of like that he was you know, right. bad in any way. In fact, he was excellent. But with that, he's taught me so much that perhaps he's, uh, <laughs> I've learned a lot of what to do best on my own now. Yeah, yeah. Which is great. That's kind of like your your early publisher dream mm -hmm. is to find somebody that can help you launch to the next 
echelons of, of the, and, of the uh, industry. Very, very ethical too. I just want to say that, that Jeff was, even though he realized some of the decisions I was making were maybe not the most marketable, he cares about the artistry of games and he was def- defending those decisions uh, as something that's necessary for the project. And also yeah. uh, the agreement that we reached for the split of everything is very reasonable, which is rare to find in a publisher. You know, yeah. uh, I'm not sure if there's any indies that listen to this or maybe looking for someone in a marketing effort, but Jeff Giesen is a, is a man that I have a lot of respect for and that he works very well in this industry and is a rare exception of a publisher that will genuinely care about you <laughs> and do good things for you. That is such a good point. Yeah. So guys, that, I want to make sure to shout that out. Then that's a good point. Meridian 4. Um, first of all, anybody go check out the Meridian 4 page. You'll find a lot of really great indies and I own the Silent Age and I can vouch for that one. So, um, you know, check that out. Of course, they now they have RD bars and I can vouch for that game as well. So, uh, check those out. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, publishers, we always talk about how like, oh, you know, this was coming from Activision. This was coming from whoever. Uh, and so we didn't, other than marketing, it's hard to tell what they would normally be doing. Uh, do they have a lot of input on the game itself or are they just kind of leaving that to the developer? Uh, normally, publishers can be very restrictive about game content. Um, Jeff has mostly, I've, I've talked to him about some content concerns I've had for the game, and basically the only thing he said is that unless, I have, I have the contract over there, which I'm not going to go flip through, but. Oh, of course, of course, yeah. He's, he's basically only worried about things that would prevent us from releasing the game on Steam. And I'm not sure if you've yeah. seen Steam's uh, the wide array of, let's just call it colorful content. They're not too restrictive (laughs) about what gets on there. So artistically, I've had almost, I've nearly had complete control, which is a very rare thing. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So normally publishers have to really make sure it's as marketable as possible. Mm -hmm. So they might be concerned about what's actually in the game. But uh, yeah, you're right on Steam. It's the, it is the wild west. (laughs) You've seen so many really pretty crazy games out there. So that's pretty impressive. Uh And, uh, you know, with, with that, uh, Part, part of that is, is that Jeff is also, he's not a fleet of like developers that are going to be like, or a fleet of marketers that have like all these like press conferences. He is, when it comes down to it, one man who's very passionate about his work. So he has the liberty to be, be more, uh, to engage with maybe more dangerous ideas because of his relative smallness in the industry. Again, Right. Jeff has made games that have uh, blown up and been excellent works that have been both artistically and uh, financially very well done. But, you know, not a Nintendo, let's say. <laughs> right, yeah. But but it sounds like the main thing with Meridian and, and with Jeff is experience over just, you know, numbers. Mm-hmm. So they actually have the experience. He's been in the industry since the 90s. So he knows, like, hey, trust me, this is what works. And so it's really nice to kind of have somebody that's got that one-on-one ability with you mm-hmm. over somebody else, a bigger public. Hey, I'm, I'm kind of from this uh, new era of, like, uh, hyper online and, you know, weird, strange. I'm a younger dude. I'm a younger dude, and I don't necessarily right. have all these, like, insights into traditional marketing. So I think especially because of that, Jeff has been a great resource for me. Yeah. Uh. When you're trying to sell the game, when you're trying to pitch the game, how important are you leaning on social media? Like, how much are you leaning on the social media aspect? Um, as far as my marketing efforts, almost entirely. Jeff handles most of the um, traditional media and stuff of that nature. He's going to help me with YouTubers and the stuff that are 
not directly social media, kind of social media adjacent. The social media stuff, that's where I spend most of my time. Twitter's, the Instagrams, the stuff of that nature. I got to plug my Instagram more than I think about that. It's not too connected. We'll to do my it at the end of this. We'll have a link in the description, guys. Check it out. <laughs> no, no. Uh, yeah, but social media is the crux. If you're marketing something and you're not using social media in the year 2021, I'm, I'm imagining you either have a lot of money or you're doing it wrong. Yeah, yeah. Trust me, you're doing it wrong then, because <laughs> it's as much. It's not like I want to be on Twitter all day, but you got to be on Twitter all day. <laughs> you got to use tools that make sure that you're constantly present. Hey, like, uh, how much speech. time do you spend watching cable television? It's social media. It's the Twitters. It's the you know yeah. weird TikTok stuff. I don't like TikTok, but it's TikTok. Yeah, <laughs> we've expanded into TikTok now too. It's just something that's like, well, we have to. So let's figure this out and see how we want to make it our thing but yeah <laughs> that's the way it is and you're right like i've cut my cable cord years ago and i'm not going back i mostly watch youtube or or you know podcast or whatever so uh yeah you just gotta adjust to the new way of marketing and it's a little tricky okay so uh we have rd mars is available on wishlist right now and it's coming out i want to repeat this january 19th um we have a couple things First off, when you guys are listening to this this morning, when this episode comes out this night, that night, we're going to be streaming this game. So you guys can get an actual hands-on look at it. Uh, I'm going to go farther than I have in the past. So you guys are actually going to see some additional new gameplay. Uh-huh. And we'll make sure to get your uh, lovely audience some keys so they will be able to get themselves a free copy when the game eventually does release. Exactly. We are going to do the giveaway. We're going to make sure that you guys have an option to be able to get, uh, participate in this. Uh, we'll make it really easy. We'll make it a Twitter thing so you guys could actually kind of uh, tie into the game and really experience it and we'll message out some uh, keys and stuff like that get you guys involved. I'm excited for you guys to jump in on this game and I'm telling you right now it, it, you're going to look at it and be like, oh, I think I can handle that. You can't handle it. <laughs> it's so much faster paced than you think. Uh, I, I, I'll give you a hint. The shield is more important than the gun. Like, Make sure you time the, the that bouncing shield you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. That, that rotating shield. Make sure you know that. That's what's really important. Oh, but Frank, in the final level, there's an enemy that you can't parry the bullets from. Let's see if you can handle it. Oh, God. What am I going to do? There's half the time I'm sitting in the corner, like spinning <laughs> real fast. It's like, okay, I'll think while I spin. <laughs> oh, no. So watch me fail on that tonight on stream, guys. <laughs> All right. Um, and then where can everybody find you on Twitter and Instagram? At Tyishdev. There we are. At Tyishdev? Uh-huh. So uh, I'll probably okay. have to spell that out for you. If you don't mind, yeah, we'll have both those in the link below, guys, so you guys can just click and follow. Um, and then we'll also have a link to the wish list. You guys add this to your wish list. I mean, it's free. What, what's it hurt to add it to your wish list, right? And then when the time comes up in January 19th and you're like, why is uh, Geek Freaks keep tweeting out about this one game that I heard about one time? <laughs> Boom. Then you already got it on your wish list. You'll know about it before we do. Uh, and that'll be great. Well, thank you again for joining me, Ty. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Pleasure, Frank. You're one of my favorite podcasts to go on. You got good energy. I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate it. All right, guys. Again, check us out on the stream tonight. We're going to be showing off RD Mars, and then you'll have a chance. We'll announce it during the stream exactly how to do it, uh, how to get yourself a free copy of the game. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. <laughs>